When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Stories of Our Times. I'm Josh Glancy, editor of the Sunday Times News Review section. And this episode will sound just a little bit different to usual. The events of October 7th were in many ways the worst Jewish nightmare realised. What we saw happen in southern Israel, this state that was built out of the ashes of the Holocaust, whose very reason for being is to protect Jewish lives, to allow them to flourish in safety, had its armour pierced, and death and savagery came for 1,300 Israelis. For British Jews, these are our family, our friends and our people. And it triggered something quite deep in all of us. The young dancers massacred at a rave. I've been to those raves in the Negev desert. The kibbutz dwellers, peacefully going about their business, slaughtered in whole families. It felt like not an echo of the mechanised slaughter of the Nazis, but actually the pogroms of the 19th century, when Cossack horsemen would rampage barbarically through Jewish villages in the Pale of Settlement across Russia. It was chilling It was terrifying, and and I don't think any Jew I know will forget where they were when they first heard the news. And then there was the fear of what comes next. Of course Israel would retaliate. What would that look like? And how many more civilians would die because of it? And how would that play out on our streets and around the world? As British Jews, we sit in this awkward position, related to and affected by a country that is not ours, where we do not vote or shape its politics. Yet however we feel about Israel, and I assure you that at any one moment, There are a wide range of emotions towards the country, in my own head, never mind across the Jewish community. We are tied to it by bonds of blood and history. Around half the world's Jews now live in Israel, and we cannot ignore its fate. So I want to emphasise that we at the Times, the Sunday Times, Stories of Our Times, will be covering this story in lots of different ways. And many people in Israel and Gaza are experiencing far greater tribulation than myself or or, or my guest Gabriel Pogrand are right now, speaking to you from the comfort of the News UK offices. But it is an anxious predicament that we find ourselves in, and one that I hope it will be valuable to explore in a little more depth. Gabriel, welcome. I thought I might introduce you as my my former intern. (laughs) (laughs) Very happy for you to do that. Very happy for you to do that. Briefly. Still editing my copy. Yeah. Um, It's great to have you here. I should probably emphasise that this is very much a personal conversation between me and Gabriel, this isn't the classic Stories of Our Times podcast. It's really our perspective on what's happened as Jews. There are many, many other perspectives, both within the community, outside of the community, 
there's many more important aspects of this conflict, frankly. Um, but we are here to talk about this experience that we have, and hopefully that will shed some light on 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 the British Jewish community uh, and and its relationship to Israel, which I, I do think is important. You are an investigative reporter, Whitehall editor, is I think your official title at the Sunday Times. And you were very briefly, I think about eight years ago, came in as work experience when I was on News Review first. And I quickly realized that you didn't need mentoring. In fact, you you soon outstripped me and everyone else and became the reporter you are today. But the piece you did last week was a, probably a departure from your day-to-day sort of muckraking through uh, the corruption of Westminster and beyond. It was something quite different. You responded to the events of October 7th by looking at the spike in anti-Semitism in Britain, but also how British Jews were feeling about what was going on. So we're going to talk about all of that. But why don't we start off? Um, I mean, I said, I'll remember, always remember where I was where I heard the news. Where, where were you on October 7th in the morning? You know, I think I was in the midst of this weird fortnight in the life of any political journalist, which was in between the Tory party conference and Labour <laughs> conference. Right. So I was temporarily in London so it starts on Saturday morning and we sort of woke up to that. Yeah, I've been such a blur, it's actually hard to pinpoint exactly where I was when I realised it was happening. And also kind of, I don't, defining the it as its own. Mm, kind of com- sort of unfolding, mounting horror, wasn't it? It was so unfolding and so mounting. And then, yeah, I got dragooned up to Liverpool um, where I spent a very surreal day inhabiting one event but very much living through another so you were at labor party conference but your head was in twitter and therefore in in southern israel absolutely i mean i think i i don't think i've spoken to a single jew who hasn't had a similar kind of bifurcation over the last uh, few days in terms of just the, one's immediate circumstances mm. seeming so redundant and irrelevant and i mean part of the beauty of being a print reporter at a paper like the Sunday Times is at a conference we get to sit down with the cabinet and shadow cabinet. There's a lot of speed dating with you know, you sit down with a Kit Kat and a cappuccino and get basically get to chew the fat with various interesting and important people. And I was I think I was just spent the whole of that, you know, other otherwise amazing opportunity just thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. What is the point of anything I'm doing at this moment in time? Yeah, because I was um I was flying back from New York and I was going straight from the airport to Cheltenham Literary Festival. I had a very dear friend, an Israeli friend, an author, who was supposed to be coming to do a talk at Cheltenham. And I just woke up. I mean, my phone had completely uh, filled with messages from all over. But she just messaged me and said, uh, I think Conor Groney is going to have to wait. Why does an event like this happening in Israel affect British Jews so deeply? I mean, I mentioned in the opening, and I think you mentioned in your very good piece about it, that it did trigger some quite deep memories, almost sort of buried trauma. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, but why did it affect you and why does it affect so many other people so deeply? I'm going to do something a little bit pathetic over here, which is I'm going to offer a critique of a book that I haven't read, uh, and it is David Baddiel's Jews Don't Count. I think in that book, as I understand it, from the Twitter discourse I've uh, absorbed by osmosis, he uh, is sort of passionate about this idea that just because he's Jewish, he doesn't need to have an opinion on Israel. He's not connected to Israel. He's a you know, secular, avowedly mm. irreligious Anglo-Jew whose destiny and spirituality and fate are not tethered to this land in the Middle East. 
I've always thought for most of our small community, 280,000 Jews or so in this country, notwithstanding what you happen to think of it, you are connected to the country of Israel. Our community institutionally and demographically, I mean, about half, more than half of Jewish children go to Israel for a month, age 16. Most um, of our community is not necessarily supportive of the Israeli government, but is oriented towards the state of Israel. You know, any Jew that prays, that participates in the rituals and religious rhythm of Jewish life, you know, faces east during services towards Jerusalem. It is the sort of spiritual sort of center of Jewish peoplehood. And as you mentioned, it's just an, an arithmetical fact now mm. that most of the world's Jews live in that country and are connected to it, therefore, in some way. I mean, I, I should have mentioned when you asked where I was when I found out about all of this, I had, I had friends who'd been there a few days prior. I had friends who were on their way there who had just arrived. Mm. I think it's just a fact of Jewish existence now that you know people who inhabit Israel. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw a statistic that said over 70% of British Jews have family in Israel. I, I know I do. I have many cousins there. My nephew lives in Jerusalem uh, studying. I'm sure you have some family there too. But there were a lot of emotions triggered by what happened. One was obviously anxiety. Now, the joke will be that as Jews, we, we sort of live with that emotion fairly constantly anyway, but it certainly heightened anxiety. Because we know we've seen this play out before, that there is inevitably a spike in anti-Semitism on British streets that comes from these wars in the Middle East. It can come in the form of swastikas being daubed on gravestones. It can come in the form of abuse being shouted in the streets. It can be worse than that. And it's something that people are often surprised to find out that actually every Jewish synagogue and school in the country has permanent security manned outside the building. Um, we live in a state of perpetual security every time we enter a Jewish space. Um, but certainly at times like this, uh, and the Met reported, I think it was a 300% increase in anti-Semitic incidents last week. I should also note there is also an increase in Islamophobic incidents as well, particularly coming from the far right. So unfortunately, we're not alone in this. But what did you find in your reporting about the rise in anti-Semitism that accompanies these issues? And also what it's like on campuses as well, particularly for young Jewish students? So I've got two great sources on this topic my twin siblings. I've got a brother and a sister who are at different campuses, one of which is Manchester, and I happen to be sent there to cover the vigil. If I had to characterise what I think is going on on campuses, I'd, I'd say it's sort of two things, two dynamics, both of which we sort of see taking place in the country at large. Dynamic number one is almost the most painful which is just the absence of empathy or caring from lots of people. Um, I've really reflected on this over the last couple of weeks that politics is about coalitions. And if you belong to a particular coalition, you know, you're likelier to care about uh, a given theatre of war, given context. You're likelier to honour and dignify certain lives and indeed certain mm. deaths. And I think one of the most conspicuous things for a lot of Jews has just been this this sort of earth-shattering, kaleidoscope-shaking moment, you know, the biggest, you know, event of Jewish death since the Holocaust. And it's just been, you know, remarkable that because people, you know, I think, for multitude of reasons on the left, inhabit a world where 
you know, they're much more used to critiquing the Jewish state mm. and, um, you know, honoring and marking the death of people at its hand in the West Bank and Gaza. Seeing that subverted, seeing Jews disempowered, when you see Jews just being lynched, I mean, I think for a lot of people that's not a familiar sight and it wasn't a thing that drove them to say or do anything. Even before the IDF had responded, just felt like no one really cared. But then when the Palestinian death toll started rising tragically, you know, nobody needed a second invitation to pound the pavements and reshare mm. things along their pals on Instagram. So I think it was a silence on one hand. And then I think the other thing was just um, this sense among a lot of people um, that their friends in halls and on campus and the people attending some of these demos, I mean, they basically semi-unapologetically think that a lot of the Jews who were murdered deserved it. Had it coming. Had it coming. Yeah, they, they basically believe they had it coming. Mm. So it's sort of, I don't know what's worse, not being moved to say anything. I'm not sure whether it, that's worse or whether it's actually worse that some people seem to think that Jews deserve it. But there's been a combination of the mm. above. Yeah, I mean, I both, you know, I thought it was ludicrous, the idea that people who support the Palestinian cause wouldn't be able to come out and wave their flags uh, as Gaza is being bombed. Of course they should. Of course you expect the sort of humanitarian pro-Palestinian position. You may actually share it in some cases. I think both of us probably do at times. But it did strike me that I, I personally wanted to see a bit more nuance this time around, a bit more of an acknowledgement that, yes, I support the right of a free Palestine and, yes, uh, I, I deplore what Israel's doing in Gaza, but that also I deplore what Hamas is doing and I call on Hamas to release the up to 200 innocent civilians that they're still holding somewhere in Gaza. And you're not hearing... What disappointed me and I think many others was that you didn't get that nuance that actually this time's a little different. These are not rockets that were sent over and intercepted and, and sadly a few people died in their homes. This was a pogrom. It was a massacre, unlike really anything we've seen before in Israel. But there was also this sense of togetherness. Uh, you mentioned in your piece that, and I've had this experience too, of seeing people who you didn't think were that engaged or affected and sort of giving them a hug. Mm. or them giving you a hug. I, I bumped into uh, our colleague Hugo Rifkind in the lifts last week, who, you know, is, qu is quite open about the fact he's Jewish but doesn't massively identify in the community. And we just sort of looked at each other and sort of exchanged a kind of nod and a smile. And there was just that sense of whatever our politics, whatever our engagement with Jewish life, we are all affected by this kind of deep sense of sorrow. And, and you, I think you told me you went to synagogue last Friday, and, and my father was, uh, I think Jews all over the country went to synagogue. I wasn't one of them, sadly. But hmm. my dad was almost a bit huffy because he sort of had difficulty getting to his usual seat. And, and you know, suddenly he was like, oh, well, the, you know, all these non-regulars. Johnny come of, lately. Yeah, exactly. Had turned up. They normally only come for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but they were all there. Everyone wanted to feel among other Jews. What was it like for you? I think your synagogue is Aleth in, in North London, in Finchley somewhere, isn't it? What was it like for you going to Aleth? You know, um, it was an extraordinary experience. There were just so many people. I mean, you know, there was such a shortage of seats um, that people were spilling into the corridors outside. I actually was going to have a couple of, uh, couple of couples over for dinner that night, both of them Jewish, and 
I think that my partner and I both just felt we just needed to be, it, w- it would have just seemed a bit ridiculous to have been hosting a little uh, soiree at mm. our flat. I mean, it just felt like a moment where you needed to be among and around other Jews, really. And um, it was, uh, I mean, it's so funny, like, so many people uh, less familiar with the nuances of Jewishness think that we're a religion. And uh, I'm not really sure whether there's any vocabulary that quite captures what being a Jew is. But, you know, I think for state me... State of being. I think. State of being, <laughs> belonging to a people or an ethno-religious group, to be more academic about it. But basically, there are people there who I saw who... I mean, I, I saw people who I'd literally not seen for a decade, who I like mm. knew as a teenager mm. and who I thought I would never see again. Yeah. Or people who just, you know that there are probably like at least a, a hundred things they would more often be seen doing mm. on a Friday than leaving work a bit early to get to shul. Um, so there has been this you know, in, yeah. insane solidarity. And I've I've also my, I've got three siblings and I, um, you know, I mean, not, none of us are kind of, God-fearing or religious in a kind of conventional way, but it's just all our family WhatsApps been about, and it's all every, it's all every family WhatsApp group I'm familiar with has been about since this happened. So we're going to continue this conversation in a moment. I, I think I particularly want to get into this idea that the British-Jewish relationship to Israel is very complex and varied. You know, we all have a different way of doing it. So we're going to talk about that and then get into the media after the break. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so Gabe, it's difficult, isn't it? We do all have different standpoints when it comes to Israel, don't we? We have your David Badils, who I don't know if he still holds this position, but sort of say, oh, nothing to do with me, Gov. Uh, then you have people who seem more concerned with what goes on in Israel than they do with what goes on in Britain sometimes. And then 
I suppose people like you and I sit in the middle. I sometimes try and in recent years, I, I, I've almost tried to avoid the subject a bit because it's quite such a heavy, knotty thing to talk about and think about. It reminds me of that old line from The Godfather 3. It's like just when you think you're out, it pulls you back in. You yeah. know? And you can't get away from the fact that it is a central fact of, of Jewish life. How do you experience the sort of different Jewish opinions on Israel? And do you think they've been more unified recently than, 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 than usual? Yeah, I have found that because of the extent of Jewish bloodshed and because of the extent of the denial of that bloodshed, um, by some. Um, Denial or, or indifference, I suppose. Or indifference, yeah. yeah. I think because of that, we in the diaspora are up to a point doing what Israel's doing, which is to say, don't you worry, Bibi, we'll, we'll be coming back for you in due course. Bibi or, Netanyahu. You know, Bibi Netanyahu, is. or like, we'll have a conversation about what this is and what it represents and the politics that... Are, you know, contributed towards the circumstances in which this happened. I mean, there was a lot of, there has been loads of debate within the community about the rightward drift of Israeli politics. Mm. And, you know, there's all sorts of diversity of opinion within our community that reflects, you know, kind of visceral loathing of what Netanyahu and his bedfellows represents and and, and then those who deem it to be a kind of, you know, realistic response to... Um, the reality of the situation. But I, I don't know, you might disagree with me. I just don't sense there's any appetite for that debate right now. I think there has been a sense of, let's put those differences at least temporarily aside and stand together as Jews uh, who do, who do you know, support the right for Jewish life in Israel. But that may change as the war develops. Even within the august offices of the Times and Sunday Times, there is a range of opinion among the actually quite large number of Jewish columnists that we have on the paper. I was struck by Giles Corrin's piece last Saturday where he sort of said, well, what do you want me to say? I'm not really here to give heartfelt political opinions. I'm, I'm a, a witticist, if you like. But actually, there was a lot of heart in that piece as well. It, it did actually, you could tell he was quite affected and upset. I don't know, what, what, what sort of struck you about the pieces you've read, Gabriel? Yeah, I thought um, that Giles piece was um, it, it, it was it was a great piece which reflected a, a, a real constituency. I mean, I've I felt this very unusual feeling within me, which is you know I've wanted to write uh, as a Jew, which is not my uh, shtick at all um, as as a kind of investigative and political reporter. And he was sort of saying, "There's been a lot of this kind of prosecutorial inquisition of." Jews on Twitter, you know, what do you think of this? And having there's a sense of having to defend oneself. He was a bit like, I ain't got nothing. I mean, mm. I'm witnessing it. I'm horrified by it too, but I don't have a pre-prepared, you know, piece of argumentation. And and of course, we have to be alive to the fact that um, within those who have strong opinions, uh, you know, of course, there are people in our community who are much more passionate in terms of what they want to talk about when it comes to Palestinian deaths. Obviously, people who are much more right-wing, um, it's, it's very difficult to say where the actual centre ground is. Um, mm. But there's certainly this duality of those who kind of want to say something about it and those who are like, I don't know, it's really shit, but I've got nothing much more to say. I also know it's the case that there's a lot of British Palestinians who are counting deaths of family members and mis- and trying to get in contact with people frantically in Gaza and elsewhere. Uh, and a lot of them don't feel like they do have representation in the media 
or in the newspapers uh, as much as they would like. So, you know, it's probably worth considering that too. Obviously, we've seen horrendous pictures coming out of Gaza, death toll rising, uh, and that's before ground invasions even happened, which obviously could massively exacerbate the situation. And the distress at that is is twofold. The first order distress is obviously it is just miserable. I mean, I think only the most hawkish and, and frankly, to my mind, zealots in the Jewish world or in Israel don't feel like a deep sense of distress and sympathy for what is happening to Gazans right now, Whoever you, whether you blame Israel, whether you blame Hamas or some combination of the two. But there is a second order impact when we see these images, which is that we, they also affect us personally, far less obviously, but they affect us personally because, as we mentioned earlier, that they do cause a spike in anti-Semitism. They do change the atmosphere in our lives, on our streets, on our social media feeds as well for a lot of people. And I think, I must say, in the last week or so, the reporting particularly, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, the reporting of the hospital bombing fire on Tuesday night. The reporting, I think, actually, I, I sound a bit hyperbolic here, I think it endangered Jewish lives, the way how irresponsibly that was reported. And I'll explain why. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit. That There were the, the two stories, and I'd like to sort of bookend the discussion with the two of them. One was about babies in Kfar Aza, Jewish babies who were murdered, at least one of whom, it appears, had its, was beheaded. And these were reports coming out. They were sort of so barbaric, people almost couldn't believe them. But they were credible reports coming out from this massacre last week about this. And the standard that the international media set to prove whether it's true or not was high, as it should be. You do not throw accusations of baby beheadings around lightly. And it ended up with Israel releasing a picture, which unfortunately I've seen, and I think actually the Telegraph even put on its page That's three, a, didn't page it? Page three, yeah. Of that they put a picture out and the international media accepted, okay, this happened. We don't know absolutely every detail about what happened, but we can see that it happened. And then you have this incident at the hospital on Tuesday night. Now, I want to be very clear. The exact facts of what happened have not been determined, may never fully be determined. But there is an explosion and a fire at a hospital in Gaza, a Baptist hospital Hamas released information saying 500 civilians have died. It was an Israeli strike. This is then reported across the media, like Palestinian officials told us that this happened and we reported what they told us. Now, news organisations often report what government officials have been telling them. What I would say in this situation is the Palestinian officials they're talking about are Hamas. Dot, 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 Hamas. Which is a prescribed terrorist organisation in this country and was guilty of this massacre on October 7th. Within an hour or two, we had a pretty vehement Israeli denial, which has only grown in vehemence. Now, of course, you would assume that a big bomb goes off in Gaza, that the people who were bombing it, Israel, were responsible. But actually, the story looks a lot more nuanced than that. So calmer, cooler reporting, less Twitter-inflected reporting, I think, would have uh, reflected that reality and taken a bit longer to do. We don't know what's happened, obviously, for, for, for 100%. But how did you experience that and what I just described? I think, um, you know, for a liberal Jew of my variety, um, the idea that Britain is not a benign place in which to be a Jew is, you know, I've always thought, frankly, 
insulting and ridiculous. Thanks to social media, we can now record the errant comment and then it becomes this cause celeb in our community. Now, I, I've always been one to say, I think that's basically a bit silly. But in this instance, I I have been compelled by, uh, you know, the critique of the media organizations who needed a lot of proof for the maiming and murder of Jewish babies. But they needed no evidence to repeat what they described as Palestinian officials' characterization as to what had happened. Yeah, and we do. I mean, you know, it is well, the media criticism. It, it's not just inside baseball and for something for journalists. It it does affect how we all experience it. But um, I do. I probably just want to end on a slightly more positive note because I've you know I've written this piece before more than once. But I do agree with your point that Britain has been and remains a very benign place for Jews to live. If you look at it historically, it's probably one of the most benign. Um, and I still feel that. And, you know, here we are sitting in the Times offices, you know, both sort of Sunday Times journalists, given the platform to discuss this. And so I, I do feel very privileged to be a Jew in Britain today. But as I think our great community laureate Howard Jacobson once said to me, said, I, I hear the dinning, I hear the noise. You know, you can sort of feel the walls are a little closer, if you like. I'm saying that because I'm in quite a small studio. But hmm. the, you hear the dinning, and I think that's probably what's happening at the moment. Will you be going to synagogue again this Friday? Oh, Josh, I mean, you're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> Two weeks on the trot, if that feels a bit excessive. Um, will I go? You know what? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I will. I don't have any uh, poetic reflection to offer an addendum to that, but it felt important in the moment. Well... I didn't go last week, and I think even I might show up this week, partly to cheer my father up uh, and make sure he gets his seat, but also because, yeah, there is that desire to be together. Uh, it's been great to be together and have this conversation. I think, sadly, there will be many more conversations of this ilk. Uh, the war continues, the deaths mount, and on it goes. But it's been great to have you here, Gabriel. Yeah, thank and, you. Um, yeah, let's talk again soon. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Josh Glancy, and my excellent guest, Gabriel Pogrand, the Sunday Times Whitehall editor. The producer was James Shield. The executive producer of this podcast was Kate Ford. And do look out for this weekend's paper where there will be, I promise you, plenty more reporting and analysis of this, frankly, pretty horrendous ongoing situation that the world finds itself in. And I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom, a Sabbath of peace.